Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. If you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet on Sundays at 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. at the Viscardi Center at 201 IU Willits Road in Albertson, New York. Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, who doesn't? You can select Beacon Church of Long Island as a supporting organization, and a small portion of every purchase will go to supporting the work at Beacon. Remember to shop at smile.amazon.com and select Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to see you soon. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. So glad that you guys have come on out and join us for Christmas Eve services. I am also, uh, you know, this whole, you know, we've had this whole turtle themed series because of uh, our postcard, which was a turtle on, on its back. And so we've been doing all sorts of turtle themed gifts as well. You know, like we've been giving out, you know, boxes of turtles and things like that and all this kind of neat stuff. So and this is the end of the series. So I thought that, um, you know, we would do one very special uh, Christmas gift for one very lucky attendee. So I had to figure out who to give it to. So I wanted to give it to someone who often gets neglected with gifts. So whoever's birthday is closest to like today or Christmas Day, like who, is there anyone here whose birthday is, is kind of, who do you got? December, is anyone, can anyone beat December 27th for, for a Christmas, uh, for a little Christmas gift here, anyone? Dece- All right, so I have a special, is that, is that right, Did I, say, I don't see any other hand. All right, so I have a special gift then for him. Oh. So I'm going to give you here. You, can, you don't have to come up. There you go. Yeah. Be gentle with it. You can just, yeah, yeah, you take a look and just, you know, keep, keep him, you know, safe on, careful on those steps. And um, <laughs> let's give him a hand for, hand for handling this. So are you serious? If I gave you a turtle, you would have been fine with this? Are you, there is no real turtle. I wouldn't give him a real turtle. That's like a commitment. I can't. He <laughs> was like, I'm getting a turtle. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> For, at 2 o'clock, somebody came. They were, she was walking up here. So on. She was walking up here. She saw the box. She's like, no, no, no. You're like running up. You're ready to take on a turtle. It's like a 10-year commitment or something. No, it's. But uh, so anyway, um, thank you guys for coming out and being a part of uh, this service with us. So uh, it was the year 1957, and Mr. Ted Geisel, he created a wonderful and charming Christmas story loved around the world. Uh, And it was what was somewhat unusual about this story, at the time that it was released at least, was that it was a Christmas story with no Christ story. And the biographers of, uh, of uh, Mr. Geisel said that uh, this was pretty unusual at the time. He was a trendsetter because most all of the Christmas specials would have had some overt reference to the Christian faith. But uh, Mr. Geisel succeeded in creating an early Christmas tale completely free of religion. Well, it makes sense. Ted Geisel, he was a persuasion expert. 
He worked in advertising as a profession for many, many years. During World War II, he spent time making propaganda films for the Allied war effort, and he later turned his powerful gifts to children's books where he covered sophisticated topics such uh, as discrimination or environmental issues or, or the dangers of autocracies or nuclear prolifer uh, prolifer uh, proliferation, all of these kinds of things. And so Christmas without Christ was certainly well within his skill set, though he did admit that coming up with a meaningful ending to his tale was challenging without Christianity. But he did succeed. He's also known as Dr. Seuss, and the famous work, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, was recently re-released as an epic uh, animated version, which I'm sure is going to be extra, extra cool. Now, it was a little bit odd for Mr. Geisel to create a Christmas story without Christ, in part because he and his family were church-going folks, and there was every indication that even from an early age, he had some sort of significant faith experience. So it kind of makes you wonder, like, what happened? You know, when did Mr. Geisel lose his faith? You know, maybe, maybe it happened when his, his dad lost his job and, and the family struggled for many, many years uh, without the main breadwinner. His sister also died at a very young age, and so that, uh, that could have been a part of it. Some would say, no, what happened was when he went off you know, into his college years, he was spending time at, at an Ivy League college, and maybe, maybe that's kind of where he started, started questioning things. And others would say, well, you got to remember, he also worked during World War II. Maybe it was just the atrocities of World War II that caused him to lose faith. It's a curious question. When did his doubts get the better of him? The moral of the Grinch, of course, is that as long as we have we, then we have Christmas. As long as we have each other, family, friends, then the Christmas season is at its peak in your experience. It's been noted that in his final book, Oh, the Places You'll Go, most would be familiar with this, that Geisel employs the pronoun you 90 times. It's a story about a completely autonomous child who is free to do whatever, whenever, achieving no, with no limits whatever he sets his heart to. In fact, we together, humanity, will most certainly be the hope that we all need for the future that we want to create. So we have to have faith in humanity, faith in yourself, faith in each other. Now, don't, you know, please don't get me wrong. I absolutely love Dr. Seuss books. I, I love all the characters, Horton and Green Eggs and Ham and especially The Grinch. Rarely will you find an author who can capture so perfectly for such a young audience the, 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 the vibe of modern America. He has so thoroughly captured our philosophy and made it explainable to children. 
He really was a master persuader. It's just not, it's just not in line with what Christ tells us is of the utmost importance. See, for many people, the only thing that they really have faith in is themselves. Or at least the people they really care about. Those may be closest to them. And I think there are many people who will never get serious about their faith. Or maybe perhaps they've fallen away from faith, having once been established in it and now starting to fall away because of doubts about whether or not we really need all this Christ stuff. I mean, do we really need it? And maybe that's you here this evening. It's certainly someone you know. Someone who's stuck in doubt. Now, there's one category of doubt, and that's kind of like the, you know, you doubt the existence of God, you doubt that Jesus is who he said he is, you doubt the reliability of the scriptures. Kind of the, there's this intellectual type, a philosophical type of doubt. Not really the focus of what we're going to be talking about this evening, but we are going to be doing a whole series on it in the first quarter of next year. Not the first series like in January, but in the first quarter, we're going to do a whole series. We're actually going to have you guys go out and ask your friends and family and uh, co-workers their biggest questions about Christianity. We're going to collect all of those, and we're going to create a whole teaching series answering uh, those kinds of questions. And so, you know, it'll be about the new atheism and about the relationship between science and faith and the reliability of the Bible and all that that kind of stuff. Uh, and so we're really looking forward to it. We think it's going to be a great series. But the other type of doubt, the one I wanted to focus on, it's a little more subtle, and I think it's also way more common, especially even for a crowd like this here this, uh, today. It's, it's the kind where you can still go to church and get a little religion. Because, you know, a little religion is good. It's good for you. It's good for the kids. But we want to really keep it more of a private matter, right? Like, let's keep that little faith box that we have in, in our lives and just keep, it, keep our whole faith contained in there. And we'll open it up, like, occasionally on Sundays and for the big holidays. And, and then we'll, we'll take it out and we'll kind of dust it off and it'll be our thing for just a little bit. I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't mind faith. You don't mind Christianity. You don't mind Jesus as long as he's helping with kind of your normal issues. Like, you know, if he's helping you out in your marriage, great. You got to love him then. Especially if he's helping your spouse be who they're supposed to be, that's even better. You know, that's really, really great. And, and if it helps the kids make it through some tough times, well, we like that as well. But I'm not really sure it should go much beyond that. I'm not really sure he should start to meddle with the rest of my life. Like, it shouldn't be involved in how I work and what I work and that kind of... And it certainly shouldn't be involved in how I use my money and certainly shouldn't be used in... in it shouldn't be in, impacting the way I use my time or how I experience fun in this world or anything like that. I'm not really sure we want Jesus in the middle of it all because then he starts messing things up. I think this is the very thing that many who are generally good people... Even churchgoers, they don't want to do. They don't want to be sold out to Jesus and putting him at the center of everything because many doubt that being sold out is actually a good thing for them. That's where this doubt sort of creeps in. I mean, why would you want to put all your trust in Jesus? I mean, we're doing pretty good on our own, right? You know, give me my family. Give me something important to do. Maybe let me write children's books that, you know, help kids to be even better people. 
And that's really all I need from this life. Because humanity has the ability to make all the difference in our world and in our lives that we will need. All on our own. And then the Bible comes along and reminds us that mere faith in humanity and our hope for the future being in ourselves isn't enough. That we have to put Christ at the center of it. But of course, our doubts get in the way. Open up, if you would, in a Bible to Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. If you don't have a Bible app on your phone or you don't have a Bible with you, the ushers are going to kind of walk down here and they'll, they'll just, you just wave to them and they will give you a Bible. That is a gift to you as well. You can just keep that and take it home and read it um, as uh, you would like. What we're going to see here is we have throughout this whole of this series, we've been actually studying this book uh, for a couple of months now, and each time we've been able to see how it is that Jesus impacts a different area of life where we often get stuck in. And this one is Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and hope that spring the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So you see kind of how they group all this together right at the beginning of this letter. And all over the New Testament, these three are all grouped up. Faith, hope, and love. Shows up again and again and again like this. The way it plays out, of course, is we, the Christian life starts as we have faith in Christ for our salvation. That God sent his son, Jesus, to die on our behalf. That's what Easter is all about. And he sent him here at Christmas time and when we recognize it. And that is the faith that starts the whole Christian experience. And that ends up giving us hope. Hope that there is more to life than what's happening right now all around us. A hope that there is actually a better promise, a forever kind of life, eternal life, in fact, and that it impacts how we will live today and who we can become today. So it, it instills a type of hope. In fact, it's the love that God has for us that comes in in, in these waves into the, the, the life of the Christian that allows us to love other people in ways we never thought possible. Even people that we barely know or don't know at all. Even people halfway around the world, we end, up, we end up seeing our love grow and expand. And so you see how these sort of build on each other. I mean, what is Christmas except faith that Christ is the center of history and ought to be the center of our lives as well? And now because you have the faith and you have that hope and then you have that love of God in you, suddenly you start to live your life today as if Jesus really was king of the planet as he promises he will one day be, which again points to our hope. Now, so you see the problem. The whole of it is dependent upon faith. So you see what, takes, what happens if we end up losing faith. If we don't have any faith, then we actually don't have any real hope. And you might think, well, how does that actually play out? Why? Well, because if you don't really have hope for the future, then this life is all that really matters. 
There's only one philosophy that really plays out well if this life is all that matters. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. You'll be eaten by worms. No one will remember you in a thousand years. Without any other hope, without, without hope that goes beyond this world, there is actually no real hope. This is one of the reasons why the Grinch, what he originally believed about the world, was that it's all about, the, about Christmas, was it's all about the tags and the boxes and the bags. That's why we fight against that consumeristic, because there's something in our soul that's saying, no, there has to be something more than that. If you don't have faith, you don't have hope, then of course there isn't really a basis for love. And you go, well, that's not, how does that play out? Because, you know, I can, you know, there are people that don't have faith, they can still love. Yes, and usually what takes place is the love that we have is rooted in either some other higher ideal that is tied to sort of a remnant of Christian faith in our hearts, or we're simply loving the people who are closest to us and who can benefit us. It's a love we have for ourselves and for our tribe, but not necessarily for those beyond us, unless it's rooted in some other philosophy that is mimicking the Christian faith. And this is the reality of what we've seen time and again. And so what happens? Well, the enemy of God then attacks the very first step, faith. And that's where doubt comes in. Now, no doubt you have had doubts. And we certainly understand that, right? Maybe, maybe you doubt that any of this faith stuff really matters in your real life. Or maybe you doubt that that there really is a God out there who is going to hold the world accountable for the decisions they make today with, about Jesus. Maybe that's the part of it you doubt. Or maybe you doubt that there really is an invisible enemy out there who's, who wants to actually destroy all of the goodness that God is creating in this world. And maybe you say, no, what I doubt is that we even deserve any sort of justice or judgment in the world. I don't think any of that whole thing exists. Or maybe you're on the other side. You go, no, no, what I doubt is that God actually loves me. Or that he knows me. The world's a big place, the universe an even bigger place. He really knows and loves me. Where are your doubts? You know, we've been looking at all of these kinds of issues if we've, as we've been studying this book of Colossians. And maybe you struggle with all or some of these kinds of ideas. But doubt is sort of a funny thing. And if you really want to start getting inside your own doubts and how you're getting stuck in them, you've got to understand the type of doubt that you experience. Because there's, there's different types, like there's a rebellious kind of doubt. And you might know this is kind of related to a personality type as well, but it's, it's rooted more so in pride. It's the kind of doubt that says, I'm not gonna go for whatever you're selling. I know better, I don't want anyone influencing me, I'm gonna set my course, I'm gonna decide, I'm not gonna, because you told me to do it, I'm not doing it, right? That's the sort of uh, a rebellious doubt that's rooted in pride. There's also a doubt that comes from disappointment. This is a persistent kind of a doubt. This is when you have been hurt in this life, when, when what, sh what happened to you should never have happened, when someone close to you died. Hump comes up around the holidays, why people are often, there's so many people hurting and sad around the holidays because they're, just, they're missing you. You think about the world in a cosmic sense, and you're like, how in the world could there be a God who really knows and loves me? If, you know, he can't be good. He can't be all-powerful. He could have stopped this. He didn't. Why? What's going Why am I living in this kind of pain? And it's a doubt that comes from disappointment. There's a doubt from distance. And you've seen this 
you've got uh, old college friends or high school friends, and all of a sudden over the years you're not, you're not really so close anymore, and the relationship really isn't there anymore, and all of a sudden you're like, you know, I don't really even know. We were close, but I don't know what happened. I don't know if they really didn't like me, or maybe you know, I wasn't important enough for them to keep the phone calls or the emails or whatever it was. But all that happened is you, you stopped investing in the relationship, and it sort of cooled off. And, and that happens in the spiritual realm as well. And so some of you just, you know, nothing actually crept in and, and made you stop believing. You just sort of stopped investing. And before you knew it, the distance created these doubts in your mind about God and about his love for you, about the role that Jesus ought to play in your life. There's a fear of commitment kind of doubt. And this is, you know, I think this might be a bit of a personality thing for some folks, too, because you might just, you just fear commitment of any sort, right? Like, you can't decide on which dating site you want to sign up for. You're so far from being able to make any sort of commitment because you're like, no, I don't want that commitment. I don't want that commitment. And there's just no commitment that works for you. And there, there's actually just a type of person that commitment itself is, is an obstacle. And so we throw doubt around it in order to prevent ourselves from having to commit. There's also an intellectual kind of doubt. And uh, lots of folks experience uh, these kind of doubts. You know, this is, you know, you, you know the things, you've read the things, you've watched the things, you've heard some stories, you watched a YouTube video, you had a philosophy professor, and now you just have these real doubts that you struggle with. And you think it through and you research them and you read about them and you try to figure it out, but you're working through some of these intellectual doubts uh, in order to come a little bit uh, to clearer understanding in your faith. But with that comes also fake intellectual doubt. And I mentioned this one, and I, I hesitate because as soon as you say it, people go, well, that's not mine, mine are real. And so it's hard to like even like explain how this one exists. But, but I've seen it too many times. I, I, I've sat with too many people who say, you know, I've got a lot of serious doubts about the Christian faith. And we sit down and we work. Sometimes you can work on them for weeks or months on end. You go through two or three books, and at each point they come up and they go, you know, that's actually really reasonable. I, I could see how, how it is more reasonable to have faith than not have faith. I could actually see why it's more reasonable to trust that Jesus really did resurrect from the dead than it is to disbelieve that. I can understand. So they see all the evidence and they research it, but they keep throwing up a new intellectual doubt out, in fact, new ones that they didn't have in the past. And when you, you finally get to answer so many of them, you realize this has never been about intellectual doubts. This goes with, the, this is about something else. This is masking one of the other types of doubt. Maybe there's a lifestyle issue that they know that they're struggling with. They don't want to give up and they know if they, they, they pursue faith, it's going to impact them in other ways. And they're like, so they just keep throwing up all of these, you know, these kind of fake intellectual doubts. See, if you want to get unstuck, you want to start thinking through the type of doubt that you are struggling with. You know, and doubt's so often viewed as the enemy of faith, but really, it can be our friend. Doubt is actually an essential element of faith. And I think this is, this is important for us to kind of wrestle with. For instance, John Calvin, he's uh, one of the uh, founding, uh, founders of the Reformation. He said, Surely we cannot imagine any certainty that is not tinged with doubt or any assurance that is not assailed by some anxiety. Charles Spurgeon, he was called the Prince of Preachers. I do not believe there ever existed a Christian yet who did not know, did not now and then doubt his interest in Jesus. I think when a man says, I never doubt, it is quite time for us to doubt him. <laughs> Pope Francis, he put it like this, who among us has not experienced insecurity, loss, and even doubts on their journey of faith? We've all experienced this, me too. See, doubt is actually an essential element. You know, like we, so we think, all right, I have doubt, and there's, there's faith and there's doubt, and they're, they're opposites. But they're not really opposites, are they? You know, think, you, I want you to think of it like this. Here's kind of a diagram. So faith and doubt will always exist, no matter where you're at in this circle. You will always, and as you have more doubt, you'll have 
less faith. As you have more faith, you'll have less and less doubt. But on this side of eternity, they will always be mixed. And so the opposite of faith isn't doubt. They'll always be together. In fact, the opposite of faith is really certainty. So doubt, when it gets full grown, when you no longer doubt something, when you know that it was what you were doubting is true, then you're into certainty. Same thing happens for faith. When the Bible says that you are that, you, that we're supposed to be people of faith, it's assuming there has to be some doubt there because if there's if there's no more faith, it's actually it's certainty, right? So like if I if I ask you guys, you know, I want you guys to believe me that we had a 2 p.m. Christmas Eve service. A two, we had a 2 p.m. Do you guys believe me that we had a 2 p.m. service? If you have faith in me, you can, you can have faith that we had a 2 p.m. service. If I ask you, do you guys have faith that we have a 4 p.m. Christmas Eve service? What would you tell me? You, don't have, any, you, you have no faith that we have a, a 4 p.m. service. You are here. You know we, ha we have a 4 p.m. service. You're literally sitting in it. So you... Once faith gets there, it's not faith anymore, it's certainty. When the scriptures are calling us to faith, there will always be some doubt mixed in. So you don't need to worry about having doubts. Being stuck in doubt is the problem. And faith and doubt can and in fact will coexist in the Christian life this side of heaven. But... It can also be the enemy of faith. Doubt can actually shipwreck your faith. And there's a cynical kind of doubt in particular that becomes insidious. It's the kind of a doubt that says, you know, there is absolutely nothing that will ever happen, nothing I could ever see. I don't even want to explore the information. I don't even want to try to overcome my doubts because I like doubting. I doubt, therefore I am. And it happens, and it happens more often than I think many of us would like to admit. Dallas Willard, he said it like this, we live in a culture that has for centuries now cultivated the idea that the skeptical person is always smarter than the one who believes. You can almost be as stupid as a cabbage as long as you doubt. And I think we've all seen this. There's just pride in the doubt, and that's not the kind of toxic doubt that can help you in your faith journey. You see, sometimes we take all of these little doubts that we have and we add them all up into this one big great doubt. Like, So take, for instance, this idea that exercise is good for you, right? We know exercise is good for us, so it helps your heart. That's really good, but you have a little bit of doubt about it because, you know, how much do I have to really exercise for it to help? And we know that exercise helps with longevity, right? We're, we're certain about that. You live longer, except that, you know, my grandpa, he lived to like 96 years old and he never jogged a day in his life. So like I have just a little bit of doubt about that whole idea. And calories, they're like, you know, you gotta burn calories, it's good for you, exercise will burn calories. Yeah, but you know, if you eat one chocolate turtle, you have to run like a marathon to burn off those calories. So it's like I have just a little bit of doubt, I know it's probably true, but I have a little bit of doubt and exercise is good for you, it makes you feel good, right? You get, that, you get the runners high. I never feel good after exercise. I run for like 12 minutes and I'm, I'm like, this, 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 this doesn't feel good at all. So I have like this, I know it probably is true, but I feel, you know, maybe it's not quite. And, you know, you, you want to lose weight and you're like, oh, I should exercise. That's a big part of this. But, you know, I, I don't, I'm not really sure. Anyway, you take all, so now you had all these little slivers of doubt that showed up in each of these areas that you mostly do believe in. But then you take all of them and you drop them into one pie. 
because I'd rather think of pie than, than, than exercise. But if you get them all into one pie, suddenly it looks like the whole pie is doubt. Because you've taken all of these little slivers and you've let them aggregate into one giant doubt. But it's not logically the case. You couldn't come to this conclusion and then say, well, now exercise isn't good. I shouldn't do it. It's the new year. Don't use any of this logic. It doesn't help you. But we do the same thing when it comes to faith. And we now say faith in Christ isn't good because I had this little doubt and 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 I'd let them all aggregate and suddenly I'm going to give up on the whole faith thing. I can't trust him anymore. But little, lots of little doubts do not discredit the overall trustworthiness of Jesus. And don't let a whole bunch of these small little doubts sort of aggregate to keep you away from putting Jesus at the center of your life. If you want to get, st you want to get unstuck, you've got to make a decision to trust in Jesus. You've got to make a decision to do it. Make a decision to trust him. Let your hope and your love flow from faith in him. And not just today or tomorrow around Christmas time, but you do this every day of your life and you will start to see your life transformed in such a way that you will know more fully and completely. You will see faith expand and you will see doubt decrease. You know, people ask, you know, I doubt, I have these doubts. What, you know, can I be a Christian if I doubt? Of course. I don't know that you can be a Christian without doubts. I've never once seen a smart, well-read person who follows Christ and doesn't have some doubts. The doubts can be our friends. They can be an important companion because they keep us from this kind of crazy excesses and they help us sharpen our, our faith and they teach us to listen to people with humility and to be lifetime learners. The doubts can press you ever deeper into your faith if you let them. So you've got to ask yourself, do you really want to believe? Do you want to believe? Because God has made the world in such a way that when it comes to faith, you will get what you want. And if you want it to, to grow and to thrive, it can. In fact, that's what you have to do next is you have to go where faith grows. Go where faith grows. So find ways to, to build into that repository, that deposit of faith. Read the scriptures. Pray. Turn your attention to God. Get around people who will encourage that process. Be a part of a spiritual family. We have a class coming up. We're going to tell you about it in a few minutes here called Alpha. It's a, it's a great way to help to get you in a place where your faith can actually grow. And then experiment with faith. Actually live it out. Practice it out. Ask Christ to intervene in your life, to give you strength when you need it. Turn to him in your crises and see what happens. Ask him for hope. Let his love flow through you and watch as your love for, for people and the world expand in ways you never knew possible. See, you'll start to experience the reality of Christ when you put Jesus at the center of your life. And that's what this whole series has been about, putting Jesus at the center of our lives. Because he isn't just the center of Christmas. He's coming up alongside us as he's claiming that if you put him at the center, he sets everything else right. 
He puts them all in their right relationships in your soul. And you'll begin to experience a hope and a love and a deepening of faith than you ever have before. That's our hope and our prayer for each and every one, from this Christmas to next. That's our hope and our prayer for you. In fact, let me pray. Let me pray for that now. Let's pray. Lord, we're just asking that for each person here, only you know where they're at and what they've, they've brought here this evening, the struggles that they have uh, experienced, that they've been a part of, the reason, the type of doubt that they have. Lord, you, you know, and I'm praying that you would meet each person here, speaking directly into their hearts so that they might know that you long for a relationship with each of them. We pray, Lord, that as a result of being here, of just investing a little bit of time, that our faith would grow. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.